We're continuing in our sermon series in Colossians, picking up in Colossians 2, 16. We're going to be reading through the end of the chapter. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was really weak. We're going to do that one more time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. It truly is. Let's pray. Almighty God, this is your word, and we confess this morning that it's in your word that we find life, that we find truth in your son, Jesus. And so, God, we come to you through Jesus as we listen to your scriptures and ask that you would speak to us, ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Over the first few weeks of June, I lived in a sort of cave, not an actual cave, but a metaphorical cave, unaware of the things going on in the outside world. The first week of June, we had VBS here at Christ Church, and I was in outdoor games with my fanny pack and my wide hat, and I was living my best life, shooting kids with squirt guns. It was awesome. Then the second week of June, I was in meetings and debates at the PCA General Assembly in Memphis. I love sitting in meetings and debates. I'm sure you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. No, it was delightful, wonderful time uh, to be there. Uh, we have a wonderful denomination. But in both, I was focused on what was in front of me. So this week, I peeked out of my cave, and I tried to see what was going on in the world around me. One particular story I came across was about two Ukrainian soldiers that frankly reminded me of Colossians. The first was a radio operator, Ruslana Danilka. She joined the Ukrainian military just two months after the war started with Russia, and she celebrated her 19th birthday on the front lines. The second soldier was a former infantryman named Denis Kevenko. Now these two had something in common. Yes, they were Ukrainian soldiers. Of course they had that in common. They were Ukrainian by nationality. Of course they have that in common. But they had something else. Ruslana and Denise are both combat amputees. Ruslana's unit was hit by mortar fire. She lost her left leg. 
Denise was hit by an anti-tank rocket. He lost both legs and his left arm. The fact that the man is still alive is a miracle. These are tragic stories of survival. They have survived really intense assaults. But what's more interesting than their survival is their resilience. It's a unique resilience. Just four days after receiving a new prosthesis, Ruslana is seen doing hanging leg lifts. Y'all know what hanging leg lifts are? It's like where you hang up like in midair or hold your, suspend yourself and you start doing leg lifts. Just four days after receiving a new prosthesis, she's seen doing leg lifts with that prosthetic limb. And Denise is so driven that his doctors, the doctors that are supervising his recovery, are convinced that one day this man will be able to run again, much less walk, right? The fact that he's like, he lost both legs, and they say, he's, this man's gonna run. He's not just gonna walk. He's so driven that he's gonna, he's gonna run again. And in their interview, he tells the CBS reporter, we can't give up. We have a long life ahead of us. We should take fate by the horns. And they both just begin to laugh. Like, laugh? How were you able to laugh? Resilience. These two are resilient in the face of the assaults of their enemy. They keep going, they keep fighting. But it's, just, it's not just their enemies that assail them, right? There are reports of pro-Russian Ukrainians feeding the Russians strategic information from inside Ukraine, right? One of Putin's closest friends was actually a U- Ukrainian diplomat. He was, he was that before the president removed his citizenship back in January of this year. The war started over a year ago. So they're feeding information to the Russian military. These Ukrainians are assaulted from a world superpower. Not just a world power, but a world superpower. And they're also assaulted by those in their own country, by their own countrymen. But they keep going, they keep fighting to maintain freedom. Isn't that descriptive of the Christian life? Last week we heard about the glorious freedom that we have in Jesus. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside Nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. We have freedom. Freedom from sin's tyranny. Freedom from sin's power and its debt and from the spiritual forces that assail us. But we face assault. We face assault on our faith from both inside and outside the church. We experience judgment from those who are supposed to be on our team, from those who are supposed to be in the foxhole with us. We also face a world that's growing more and more hostile to our faith. And it tells us that we need to get with the cultural program or we're gonna be left behind. 
There are forces in this world, inside and outside the church, that would seek to keep you in bondage, to keep me in bondage, to judge us, to disqualify us. But, here we, but today we hear Paul say, therefore, therefore, these things are true. And he's going to tell us what we need in order to be a resilient people who maintain the freedom that God's given to us. So what do you need? What do you need to be, a resi- to be resilient against the assaults of all who would seek to disqualify you and judge you? We're going to see two things this morning. You need spiritual caution, and you need spiritual connection. Caution and connection. So first, you need spiritual caution, verses 16 through 18. Look at the commands that Paul begins with in verse 16 and then also in verse 18. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. Another way to say that is don't let them. Don't let them disqualify you. Don't let them pass judgment on you. We don't really hear the force of, like, of Paul's original uh, uh, exhortation in English because the Greek actually starts with the word no. It doesn't start with the do not it's, or, or the therefore. It says no, no, kind of like a, a giant caution sign in verse 16 and in verse 18. You know those big bright red do not, uh, do not enter wrong way signs? Right, when, I was, uh, when I was in college, we were driving down the interstate, and a guy was driving the opposite direction on our side of the interstate. The cops passed him. It was like, oh, that guy didn't pay attention. That guy didn't heed the caution sign. I'm sure, I, I don't know what happened to him. I'm sure he got arrested. It was a bad idea. Pay attention. Watch out. Open your eyes so you don't go down that road. But what's Paul warning us against? He's cautioning us against two things. Legalism and mysticism. We're going to go into those in more detail. So first, legalism. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There were some in the Colossian church who were attempting to place Old Testament ceremonial regulations like cleanness and uncleanness, kosher food laws, drink, eat this, don't eat that, uh, and then and also church calendar observances. They were seeking to place this onto the Colossian Christians as a marker of faithfulness to Jesus. Now, they weren't necessarily replacing Jesus, right? It, it, Paul assumes that these people are part of the community, but they're supplementing Jesus. They're not saying, forget about Jesus altogether, observe these laws, let's go back to the Jewish tradition. They're saying, yeah, you can have Jesus, but let's tack on our to-do list too. We love to-do lists. They're awesome. You get to check them off. We're not supplementing Jesus here. They're just or excuse me, they're not supplanting Jesus, saying that he doesn't exist. They're simply supplementing him. And this was true for the Colossian Christians then and there, and it's true for us today, here and now. We love rules. We love to-do lists, most of us. 
I actually hate to-do lists, mostly because they overwhelm me. But people, we love, some people love to-do lists. My wife loves to-do lists. Uh, rules allow us to keep life manageable, right? It allows us to have control. It allows us to get our way. We're not getting rid of Jesus. We're just taking Jesus and adding our do's and don'ts to him. And we can know that we're growing legalistic. When we are, are, are critiquing someone's commitment to Jesus on things that Jesus doesn't critique, you know you're growing legalistic. When you're, when you're critiquing someone else's commitment to Jesus that Jesus doesn't actually critique. I'll give you a few examples. We know when we say, how could they, right? How could they? How could they be a Christian and blank? How could they vote for that politician? How could they let their kids do that? How could they educate their kids that way? Whatever way that might be. How could they support that social cause? How could they eat that? How could they drink that? How could they? If it's not something that Jesus puts on you, you're adding to Jesus. And Paul says, no. The regulations of the law were a mere shadow. You know, like Peter Pan, like running after his shadow, trying to like sew it back onto his heels. The shadow is always meant to point to the reality. These things were never meant to provide salvation. They were just meant to point to the one who provides salvation. And now that the reality has come, the substance of the shadow, the shadow is not necessary for communion with God because God has come in the flesh. He's walked among us in Jesus. And so those shadows aren't necessary. The substance walked among us. We don't need the ceremonial regulations. So we have to be very cautious in placing any rules on our brothers and sisters that Jesus doesn't first place on us. We have to be very careful not to place demands on ourselves or on others that Jesus doesn't place. So he cautions us against legalism. He also cautions us against mysticism in verse 18. Now you might be taking a deep breath. Right? Like maybe I, I, I might be guilty of legalism, but not mysticism. Like that's not my problem. It might be, actually. Uh, you're, you might not be an ascetic. You might not be uh, into the worship of angels. Right? You may not be seeing visions. All of those things are kind of odd, kind of weird. Uh, they don't really make a whole lot of sense to us. But the thing that unites all of these things is that they emphasize spiritual experience. If legalism focuses on rules, mysticism focuses on experience, our subjective experience. And so what Paul warns against here is measuring your Christian faith or measuring the faith of another Christian by feelings and experiences or lack thereof. I'll give you some examples. Have you ever said... I don't feel it. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel like a Christian. You're focusing a lot on your subjective experience. I know that feeling. I felt that too. 
or lack of feeling, right? Lack of feeling of God's presence. I felt that too. I know what that's like. One other way that we've done this more culturally in Christian uh, circles is that we, uh, instead of talking about wor- the worship service, we use the language of worship experience, right? Or in, instead of u- using language of discipleship, we're talking, we, we, we use more language of faith journey, right? But discipleship and, uh, or uh, experience and journey are not bad things, right? They're not bad things in and, them, in and of themselves. We want to experience God, right? We want a deep abiding connection with God that we can experience, and we, we want to walk the pilgrimage of faith. Right? We want to walk, be on this journey following Jesus. But this language, this subtle shift of language is a subtle emphasis on personal experience. So worship and discipleship are not so much focused on serving God as much as they are on our experience of God. And Paul's evaluation of legalism and mysticism is rather sobering. Look what he says in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They ultimately have no value in creating resilience because in practicing them, we are relying on ourselves rather than on Jesus. Legalism and mysticism, regulations and experience, subjective experience are self-made, relying on self, so they have no power to foster a resilient faith. And so you need to be cautious. We simply need to heed the warning, right? Pay attention to the caution sign, not to lean into those, and also not to let others judge us by them. So if we need caution, to stay away from something, we also can need connection to stay connected to something. So you need spiritual connection. Paul says that the primary indictment against the legalists and the mystics is that they've lost connection to the head. They've not held fast to Jesus, verse 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So if we want to pay attention to the caution sign, if we want to build a resilient faith, we have to first maintain connection to the head, to Jesus. And then in verse 20, he says how we've done that, how we've connected to Jesus by way of death. Wow, by way of death. If with Christ you died, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Now there was an initial death, right? That first death you died when you first placed your faith in Jesus. He made, he, you died with him, you were born again by him, you live now through him, You were given new life in him. But then the rest of the Christian life is is a reenactment of that initial engagement. The whole, like you don't go beyond that. Like you can learn a lot of things. 
But the whole of the Christian life is a continuing of death. A continuing of receiving life in Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. How many times? Just once? No. Daily. He must take up his cross daily and follow me. Christian discipleship is coming back over and over and over and over and over to Jesus. It is coming back and reconnecting over and over to the power source of the gospel. Even when we struggle to believe, we say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And this connection to Jesus through his death and through his resurrection produces two things that foster a resilient faith. We're going to see two things that this connection produces. First, it produces Christian community. Look at the end of verse 19. He says, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The whole body of believers, you, me, our brothers and sisters around the world, the Christians down the road, the Christians up the road, we are nourished and we are knit together by Jesus. By his death you have died, by his resurrection you've been given new life, and as the head of his body, Jesus has knit you together with the person next to you. He has united you to one another. This is why legalism and mysticism, particularly legalism in our context, is so destructive. Because we begin to chip away at the body of Jesus. And Paul says, no, you won't do that. You won't do that to the body of Jesus because you belong to each other. You belong one to another. We have some sweet friends who've adopted two boys from Africa from separate parts of the same country uh, roughly eight, eight to ten years ago. Now, they brought these two young boys into their house, made them part of their family, right? And, and they quickly became, they, they quickly went from being a family of five to a family of seven. And because they're a, a Caucasian family and they have adopted African boys, they often get really awkward questions, uh, like, like one in particular, are all of them yours? <laughs> I appreciate somebody laughing at that. Like, are all of them yours? One thing, don't ask that, okay? If you, if you see my friends, don't ask that. Are all of them yours? Because whatever, the, like, we all know the question behind that, right? Are they biologically yours? Well, that's fairly easily answered. But the real answer, like, whatever, whatever the question behind the question is, are they yours? We all know the robust answer, yes, of course, of course they're mine. They belong to my friends not because of their biological origin. They belong to my friends not because of anything they did or didn't do. They belong to my friends because they made a choice to make them theirs. They made a choice to make them part of their family. 
not one of their children can say to any of the others, you don't belong here. They cannot disqualify from membership in their family because their parents are the ones who qualified them. Their parents chose them. And the same is true for you and for me. You belong here not because you served at VBS. You belong here not because you served on a committee. You belong here not because you served on the session or the diaconate. You belong here not because you come here on Sundays. You belong here because Jesus says you belong here. And I belong to you. And you belong to me, not because you voted me in as the associate pastor, but because Jesus says so. Because he has claimed you, and he has claimed me. And he's made us part of this church. He's made us part of his family, one body, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. You need me and I need you, and you need each other. You need one another because as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Life Together, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. So you need each other, and I need you, and you need me. God creates that spiritual connection, that, that Christian community. When we are united to Jesus, he unites us to one another. That connection produces Christian community that fosters a resilient faith. And then second, it produces Christian maturity. Paul concludes verse 19 saying that the body grows with a growth that's from God. And then in verse 23, that a self-made religion is of no value in, in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So the antithesis is true, right? A religion connected to Jesus is of value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Maturity is what Paul and Timothy are striving for. He says in chapter 1, verse 28, Him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the end goal, maturity, sanctification. But what is Christian maturity? In short, Christian maturity looks an awful lot like dependence. It's depending more and more on Jesus for your spiritual, spiritual growth, depending more and more on Jesus, giving yourself in faith to the things that he has given you for connection, to the means of grace. The reason why self-made religion and legalism and mysticism don't work, because they're based on human precepts and teachings. Why would we give ourselves to them? They're based on man-made traditions to human precepts, to human teachings, rather than to the precepts and teachings of Jesus. So Christian maturity is learning to lean into and to depend on the works and the ways of Christ. 
Another way to get at that is to ask the question, what's your posture toward Jesus? What's your posture towards other Christians? A maturing posture is one of submission, humility, patience, dependence on God and on one another. And you know, we're never going to arrive. We're never going to get to a place where we don't have to continue to mature. We're never going to be perfect, perfectly mature Christians. Your to-do list will never be sufficient. There are not enough do not handle, do not tastes, do not touches in this world to be sufficient. That's why it is a growth from God. Paul says in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on on the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, you do have a role. You do have faith. But God is the one who produces the growth. It is a growth that comes from God as you remain connected to Jesus. You know, Ruslana and Denise are, are really resilient, right? They're really strong really tough. It makes me look like a wimp. But notice that they don't have to be resilient alone. They have each other. They have other soldiers. They have doctors and physical therapists at the facility where they're recovering. And it's in those connections that they've developed resilience and that when they are unsure, someone can be sure for them. Paul is inviting you and me to develop a resilient faith. One that can withstand the assault of all who would seek to disqualify us. And he's inviting us to do it together. Inviting us to do it as one body. So let's not demand from each other what Jesus doesn't demand from us. But let's together connect, reconnect to Jesus by faith here on Sunday morning and throughout the week. Let's depend more and more on Jesus for a growth that ultimately comes from God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do believe, but Jesus, we ask that you would help our unbelief. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to depend on you. You in your grace have given us new life by your own death and by your own resurrection, by uniting us to yourself, making us part of your family. Teach us what it means to be resilient, to be able to to face the assaults of judgment and disqualification. Make us strong, make us healthy, make us mature, and teach us to depend. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.